0: Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show.
1: When the cut page was added into DaVinci Resolve, it included the release of a, a hardware keyboard at the same time. So simultaneously we had this this editor, full Resolve editor keyboard, and the shuttle dial actually works to control those um, those attributes in the cut page. When we released later the DaVinci Resolve speed editor, right, the smaller subset of that full editor keyboard, it also included the jog shuttle dial and the multi-cam controls and the direct trim controls on the left. Well, I've got the speed editor, and because it's Bluetooth, I've got it connected to my iPad. So I found that the speed editor combined with the cut page makes really short work. Of quick assembly
0: welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. last year with the launch of the m2 ipad pros we also saw a few notable pro level applications hit ipad os one of those being davinci resolve davinci resolve is an all-in-one video editing application that includes color grading color correction visual effects and audio post-production this is available for mac os windows linux and now ipad os to dive into this brand new iPad version of DaVinci Resolve is Sean Carlson, who's a product specialist at Blackmagic Design. And as you'll hear, he really knows his stuff. You can download the app for free to follow along. Uh, you can download it right now from the App Store. And if you like what you hear today or experience in the app itself, there is a one-time upgrade fee to unlock all the features of DaVinci Resolve. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so over patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Even a dollar a month for early access with chapter markers over patreon.com slash Apple Pros goes a very long way in helping with the production of this show. So thank you if you are one of those incredible people supporting this podcast. Without further delay, here is my nearly two-hour discussion with Sean about all things DaVinci Resolve. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Sean.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. That's Absolutely. So I'm interesting.
2: Super excited to have you on. Um, you're part of the team that uh, works with DaVinci Resolve, creates DaVinci Resolve, and it's now out on iPads. This is uh, a big day for iPad because for those that don't know, this is a professional level video editing tool and that's now on this brand new platform.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um thanks again for having me here. This is this is an interesting experience for me. Um and as you mentioned, I'm I'm part of that team um you know though I clearly I can't take uh, credit for this. I'm not part of product management and and team development, but uh, and they deserve all the all the congratulations on the release. But you know, I'm excited to be here to, uh, to discuss this launch with your listeners. Um you know, it's in terms of my uh, exposure to DaVinci Resolve, obviously I've been on uh, DaVinci Resolve in the desktop environment. So this is a completely new interface for us and, and you know, yet another uh, operating system um, to release it for.
2: Yeah. And, and what is your role within Blackmagic Design? So I'm a, uh,
1: I'm a product specialist and um, that essentially means I have to be a specialist for, you know, every product we release across the hardware and the software teams. And, um, clearly that is a nonstop, you know, job, right. Trying to keep up with our development. And so um, (laughs) we release so many things and, uh, and so many new products, um, all the time. We have kind of a furious schedule, if you will, they're always moving. So mm -hmm. in, in this case, I pretty much focus on resolve. So DaVinci Resolve being the platform, um, that I'm in daily, you know, daily, on multiple OSs and uh, dealing with customers for doing the same.
2: And what's your background with video editing uh, to, to, to kind of break this, you know, test it and try to break it? <laughs> uh, do you shoot a lot of video yourself and have kind of passion projects that you get to work on as part of your job? Yeah,
1: actually, um, you know, Blackmagic has been very gracious with my time, um, you know, of late when uh, there have been a couple of interesting short films. That I've been allowed to kind of help out with, um, taking on various editorial roles, like, you know, an assistant editor, a uh, remote onset editor, the, um, you know, editor of name, the conform artist, uh, doing basically a lot of things just because, you know, I have operational experience in this. And in the past, I think, God, if I go all the way back, I probably started editing. Um, well, before I started editing, I started animating and, and creating much you know, editing motion graphics bumpers for like TV syndicated film packages. And it kind of grew from there to, um, you know, cutting the teasers for those films and then into full trailer work for new films and promo spots, sizzles, featurettes. Um, I did some on air news segments and, uh, some BTS cuts, you know, the, the fully formatted 21 and a half minutes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That go on the DVD extras, things like that yeah across all different nle's and vfx packages of the day um you know historically that included things like adobe premiere uh things like you know apple's uh, final cut pro um you know we we used shake uh, there were there were a number of things shake smoke combustion yeah. motion so i mean i i really i look back longingly at that you know at those formative years and think uh, <laughs> whoop. What could I have done if I had DaVinci Resolve back then? Because you know, yeah. the, it was it was really the tool set was designed to be, um, you know, a hardware based uh, uh, facility driven, you know, environment for color and finishing. Right. And it, when it when it came to the desktop platform, um, it, it kind of you know took over. Um, right. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's the only uh, it's the only platform essentially that is its own ecosystem. You know uh, the other, the other, I would say competitors in the field, right? From from the big names that have already dropped. Yeah. Um, they obviously they have many tools, and um, and they're adding more and more tools as they upgrade their versions. But you know, if you look at the way Adventure Resolve is organized in these pages, it's essentially laying out the entirety of the workflow, and in every page you can simply present the tools that are you know. The tools that you would need in that discipline,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. With Final Cut, you have motion and other tools that bounces you out to 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 do different, you know, verticals of that work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, and since we're kind of, um, I mean, we're a manufacturer of hardware and software solutions for film and television, you know, post production production, um, and and we kind of started. By delivering a DeckLink PCI video card, right, a video capture yeah. card, and um, and that was the you know the creation of this uh, of this hardware journey. But in addition to that, you know we make now many other PCI DeckLink capture cards, right, all the way up to the uh, the 8K Pro DeckLink card. We also offer um, Ultra Studio version, which is the Thunderbolt or USB C connected uh, capture devices. We make um broadcast studio and set cameras. We have ATAM HD four K and even eight K video switchers, signal routing, adapters. Um, you know, but what we're talking about today is essentially that we've brought this flagship um editing, color grading, audio mixing, visual effects, mastering software to resolve to um you know, to the iOS platform here and have been running it on this iPad very nicely.
2: Yeah, and it's it's inter- the business model black magic design you do so much in hardware that this is great software it's not a subscription it's you know affordable it's i think 100 bucks an ipad and probably a little bit more on desktop for the full unlock is that right yeah yeah
1: you're right it the uh, the studio upgrade uh,
2: essentially i guess
1: we should talk about those differences because there's a few um but essentially like you said the studio upgrade for the tools that extend their feature set uh beyond the free version uh are $95 on the iOS platform and they're 295 on um you know Mac Windows and Linux platforms
2: yeah and yeah and as you said there's a free download which is um and it's a very full featured free download <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i I
1: don't want to rattle off too many of the of the features comparison you know like right. the like a, a chart necessarily but if you're looking for an overview, when, you, when you're when you comparing, say, the desktop version of the free installation versus the studio installation, you end up with, um, you know, in a desktop environment, you have the ability to, to connect multiple graphics processing cards. And, you know, going back to how DaVinci Resolve might have been in a facility, you know, prior to Blackmagic's uh, acquisition and then later, you know, upgraded to Resolve, which was... Um, I want to say like 10, about 10 or 11 years ago at this point now. So it hasn't been, it hasn't been that long, um, you know, since, since they took over and the platform has just grown by leaps and bounds. So comparing the free version, which is now ultra HD, you write 4k broadcast, 4k, uh-huh. right? 3840. Um, it'll do that at 60 frames per second in the free version. And we've also included, um, a number of, uh, light effects for audio and resolve effects for video. And, uh, of the hundred plus resolve effects, as an example, you know, more than half of those are going to be available to the free version without the studio upgrade. And we really only limit it to, um, you know, the studio the studio version doesn't have the limit in terms of file size, edit size. You can deliver to 4K DCI. So that would indicate you're a professional attempting to deliver to a standard like DCI. Um, you know, but a lot of people that might be delivering to the streamers could even be able to deliver in UHD. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not necessarily like we're saying this is a free version. Um, and you won't be able to do any any work on it. Uh, it's it's a fully featured free version, and it's essentially just a permanently free version. So right. you we know, we even <laughs> offer the same. Uh, you know, when, once you've made the the expenditure and and you've upgraded to DaVinci Resolve Studio, the Studio license is essentially your perpetual license. So um, we're not going to charge you again next month. We're not going to charge you again next year. Right.
2: Yeah. Now. I'll- where did it come about to to decide let's let's bring this to iPad? You know, was Apple Silicon on Mac a big part of it? You're already you know transitioning those apps to work with that architecture. Sure. You know,
1: I can't I can't really speak to the motivation. Um, as I did mention, I'm outside of the you know the product management team, uh, where probably many of those discussions were going on between product manager and uh, you know and like Grant, who does direct an awful lot the, um, you know, of these decisions. So, um, without really knowing, I wouldn't want to speculate on yeah. this, but it's, it's definitely, it's exciting, you know, to be able to bring these level of professional tools to an entirely new platform. You know, as I mentioned earlier, DaVinci Resolve is already across Mac windows and Linux, and now we're also on iOS and, you know, working on this particular model, um, I've had that I've been testing out. I've been very happy with its performance.
2: Yeah, no, it runs phenomenal. I'm on the M1, I've had Pro, and I'm sure it's even better on the M2. Um, something that I'm curious about is, this is version 1, and it's it's Edith. missing things like the Fusion tab and the Edit tab. Are, the, are future tabs from the Mac version, you know, long-term, is it kind of in Blackmagic's idea to eventually bring some of those things over? Uh, and maybe there is a, you know, it's three hundred dollars on the Mac. Maybe as you add, you know, more of these tabs, there's a, you know, an in-app purchase to unlock some of those additional missing tabs.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, well, in this case, this is kind of like future discussion, which we pretty much don't engage in. So um, I don't really know that there's anything I can I can reveal if that was a roadmap necessarily, sure. but. I mean, if you look at our development, I think I think you'll find that um, you know, historically across the DaVinci Resolve app is a very good example. Um, but certainly even in cases where we've we've sold a customer um, you know, a piece of hardware. That hardware um is usually sold with the software at the same time, right? The firmware yeah. is something that you'll get as a driver or a download. And um what you'll find is even with older hardware. Blackmagic is still releasing newer firmware that adds features to things you've already purchased. So, um, you know, I I would I would lean towards the, you know, the the legendarily. Yes, <laughs> as, as it <laughs> seems. We've been adding features and we um, you know, it it just it feels like sometimes we are trying to avoid to charge customers. For yeah. Them. So, uh, I I would guess that um, you know, the features in this initial version are, are limited, right. We are using the cut and the color pages. Um, you know, it's, it's quite possible that this is just, um, you know, this is just on the roadmap in terms of, you know, when those things might be available, if those become available and, you know, the, the development team has done an excellent job actually of converting some things that would be, you know, difficult contextual menus or, buried a little bit in a menuing system to have revealed them and organized them in the interface icons and allowed for things like long press to yeah. engage some of those so.
2: yeah no it, it, it's it's translated very nicely that ipad I, i'm rather enjoying it um that the um, the edits tab was the one i have a friend that t- that uses davinci resolve day and day out that was the one one thing he was um that he was uh, most disheartened uh, by, that one day he hopes to see that make its way back over to <laughs> yeah i mean
1: i've i've also been you know an editor for quite a while and and the edit tab is definitely my comfort zone right it's yeah. a it's a two up viewer of source and record with a linear timeline below it, you walk into that from any nle experience and you can just sit down and start working you know, you might need to find out where exactly that tool is, but yeah. you already know what the interface looks like; it's recognizable. So, I, I agree that's that's definitely something that um, you know that I've heard people are interested in. So, I'll definitely pass that along as yeah. well. I Thank think you. if you look at what the Cut Page brings in terms of its uh, flexibility and speed, um, that might just be you know a perfect pairing for the iPad. I know that when uh, when the Cut Page was added into DaVinci Resolve. Sixteen
2: uh-huh.
1: and um, it included the release of a uh, a hardware keyboard at the same time. So simultaneously we had this this editor full resolve editor keyboard. yeah, and the shuttle dial actually works to control those um, those attributes in the cut page. So when we released later the um, the DaVinci Resolve speed editor, right, the smaller <laughs> subset of that full editor keyboard. It also included the jog shuttle dial and, uh, and the multi-cam controls and the direct trim controls on the left. Well, I've got the speed editor, and because it's Bluetooth, I've got it connected to my iPad. So mm-hmm. I found that the speed editor combined with the cut page makes really short work of quick assembly.
2: So, yeah, I did notice and uh, later in my questions I had about you guys do sell these hardware keyboards for editing those pretty much all all work across the board within this app well in this case in this case yeah. there's one yeah. uh the davinci resolve
1: the davinci resolve editor keyboard which is the full length full size um based on a gaming keyboard with the cherry browns and yeah. um you know all all of those things that you're expecting right yeah a, a high-end uh, mechanical keyboard And then in addition to that, had the specific to DaVinci Resolve, you know, trimming and uh, jog shuttle dial. Well, that model being USB-C bus powered isn't going to be able to draw enough power at that point if we were to connect USB-C to USB-C. So I don't believe, and then it would also, uh, I'm speculating at this point, but just in terms of the things that I know about what uh, USB devices would need, I don't know that we would get access to that okay because yeah i know uh, i
2: was curious yeah if you hook it up to like a thunderbolt dock (laughs) that would be right and i and i did that
1: actually i have i have two i have the little apple um you know av adapter uh, as a as a start and then i also got one you know from another company right i got the anchor um that has a couple of different options on it and i found that they work you know they work really well um but i've only added I've only added the screen, mm-hmm. the Samsung T5, and then a and then a second power. I have another port available, and the one thing that I haven't been able to test yet is to get a um is to get an Ethernet port from there so that I can hardwire. Yeah, and add myself to the um to my protected network essentially right. yeah you know the ipad the ipad in my office is on my wi-fi and my wi-fi is never connected to my wired ethernet network <laughs> yeah my <laughs> I don't uh, bridge the two yeah my thunderbolt dock
2: has a little ethernet port on it directly and it yeah it is wired yeah, right now so it's exactly to, so yeah. if i have that dock, then
1: perhaps i would already had the yeah. opportunity to do this but, uh, but uh, for i find all that the because blue- the speed editor oh yeah,
2: ahead, yeah but for all the Pick Bluetooth that. keyboards you guys sell, because of the Bluetooth protocol, that stuff will just work, and it understands uh, for the special stuff within uh, DaVinci how to translate that. Yeah,
1: actually, as soon as you've paired this speed editor with your iPad, um, DaVinci Resolve just sees it. And, and it's kind of a similar way that you might pair it if you were on the desktop as well. Although in the desktop, you'll see this in what's called the DaVinci Resolve uh, control panels. Um, so there's there's an actual app that you'll run that interacts with and and updates for more and things. Yeah.
2: So, um, and imagine this app works great with Blackmagic cameras for RAW footage. Uh, Other companies, do do, do you guys take the time to work with Sony, RAW, and other formats?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. We actually, um, you know, DaVinci Resolve supports all of those normal, um, you know, third-party camera formats in the desktop versions. And, there's a limitation right now on the iPad version, where you mentioned that we do definitely work with our own cameras and our camera formats. Uh, our camera format is the Blackmagic RAW format, which is um, you know a wrapped um, movie-like file, and you know DaVinci Resolve on the iPad can see and you know scrub and, and play with that media. No, I didn't have I didn't have um, any 4.6K. Media to play around with. All the other media that I've been using on the iPad so far has been, you know, UHD to to 4.6, but <laughs> those have been um, either proxies or are they just created transcodes, which yeah. is really the workflow that I would probably, you know, assume uh, a lot of people are going to be using on the iPad. Now, I did throw the Black Magic Raw into a timeline, the 12K Black Magic Raw into a timeline <laughs> and scrub it just to see that I could do it, you know? Like, yeah. I certainly didn't try to do any real processing on it like no noise reduction or anything because that would be probably the most um processor intensive thing I could try. Right. um on that on that particular clip but yeah I was I was impressed you know I mean I'm patting myself on the back I guess by saying I'm impressed with their own software but <laughs> right. to be honest you know, I have to I have to step aside and be be somewhat objective, you know, about this as a as a video professional, um as well as, you know, a black magic employee. So I was I was impressed as a video professional, yeah. That my twelve K Blackmagic Raw would actually import and you know, was working just fine. I mean, I wasn't gonna try playing it you know, well, yeah, it's a huge frame. But yes. I could play that on my laptop all day long. <laughs> so yeah. The MacBook the MacBook Pro uh with the um What do I have? I have the M1 Max. And uh, so it's like maybe a year old at this point. Right. And the
2: M1 Max tosses that 12K around with no issues, really, which blows my mind.
0: (laughs) So back in the day,
2: I heard things like Final Cut. You could like network in a bunch of computers to help with the rendering and stuff. Is is this still a thing? And like, could you create like an iPad network of a bunch of people running DaVinci Resolves to help (laughs) out and... You know the the interesting thing about that
1: um is that because davinci resolve is presently a fully collaborative uh, workflow um you know available on the other three platforms that uh with the addition of the cloud project libraries that that we released in version 18 at A B last year the shared cloud project library allows even, you know, these remote connected, uh, iOS devices to have access to things like the, you know, shared, um, you know, shared project files. Yeah. And, um, in the shared project file area, you can enable what's called multi-user simultaneous collaboration. And, and in multi-user collaboration, um, you're, we're working with bin locks and timeline locks and first in first out locks on the media. There's Badging, um, badges that show up next to the bins to indicate who's involved in the bin, who's locking the bin. They can be explicitly locked. Um, you have a collaboration chat area to chat among the members that are actually that- active in the project at the same time. And there's a project members panel so that you can see who's active in the project at the same time. Um, in addition to being able to hit the home button. And uh, and you know, jump between projects that you might be working on. this is all a completely new uh, world of collaboration now to add uh, on iPad versions, you know to your collaborative workflow. i I could see that you know well well this app is it probably hits a number of different demographics because not only is it for the single person with an iPad, who want. <clears throat> Not only is it the single person with an iPad um, you know who might want to um, capture something immediately in the field, cut it together, add effects, add music, add titles, and um, and then export directly from it, um, a- as well as perhaps maybe you know a cinematographer who's on set uh, doing some you know some location scouting, wants to look at some lighting. Right, they might take yeah. a little string out reel of lighting. Um, if you have a, um, if you have an assistant editor, you know who's who's acting as the the metadata and the import and the organizational side of things. Right, all of these can work in tandem with an ongoing production, and um, you know that's that's kind of a. That's, well, it sounds going. To, that's a brave new world. I'm yes. just going to say it.
2: Now. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, for those new to DaVinci Resolve uh, maybe they've worked in Final Cut Pro before or Adobe Premiere um, DaVinci Resolve kind of brings a bunch of tool sets into one app but I'm curious about the mm-hmm. actual editing process um, you know if someone's starting they or maybe they've never even edited a video in any app before in their life um, what's kind mm-hmm. of the like you know general points and tips about getting around just the editing process uh, in, in, in Resolve
1: well, okay. I mean, I think that if you look at how we compare across, you know, to other NLEs in terms of uh, familiarity, uh, I find that, you know, as a as a former user of many other NLEs, I, I was able to sit in front of DaVinci Resolve and immediately begin working. Now, um, if you've never had any experience with this, but perhaps you've done some basic editing in your phone or on your iPad in the past. Yeah uh, with things that you've taken, you at least understand the concept, right? And the concept is I may have shot this one long scene. Um, and then I'm going to trim it just to the select that I need. So again, the trim tools are there. They're very simple. You can engage the trim function, which turns the viewer into the trim tool, um, gives you, you know, easy ruler options to trim a frame here and there. There's shortcut buttons, the trim frames, and of course, if you've got the speed editor, you also have a trim in, trim out button under your left hand that works at the same yeah. time with the scroll wheel. So if you've engaged your trim out and you just scroll forward until, you know, uh, until it needs to, or scroll back until you're cutting the, the select it, it's, um, it's a very natural kind of, uh, an editing interface when you, when you get around to it, you know, I think, especially yeah. when you get the opportunity to use, you know. A speed editor with it and the and the shuttle dial but clearly you know the interface tools the transport controls they're all going to be there um on the ipad itself um you, you can use your finger to do this as long as you don't have giant exact fingers yes. like mine that don't really hit the point that i need in which case i bought the apple pencil too
2: so i could also <laughs>
1: have that really granular ability uh to tap the point that i'm looking for yeah but
2: When you import media into a project, uh, how does it, it, does it treat it as it's importing that file into this project that's stored there? It's got the full original file that you can work with on all the other platforms or, you know, how does that all work?
1: Yeah. So, um, DaVinci Resolve in general is actually kind of different in this regard and, um, and that can create some you know some confusion so it's it's a good question to ask especially for someone new to do resolve and and on the ipad it works the same the uh imported media and i use the import in air quotes that you can't see now um the imported (laughs) media actually doesn't copy media to the location of the ipad it it simply references the location so it's the same way that it would work on the desktop version. Uh, imported media is simply linked to its location. It's not moved. This is really for file safety, right? If we, yeah. if we start moving media around, it might be linked or needed in another project that they don't have access to. You know, thinking thinking in terms uh, like a collaborative, you know, in-facility workflow, you would almost never want to move your media. So yeah. resolve really just tries to take that to the next level and insists no media gets moved. We simply link to it. Um, This also allows us a very simple relink option. And you'll notice in the iPad, um, in the top left-hand corner of the interface, if you have what looks like a link icon, and it's red, that indicates you need to click it and relink your media. It'll pop up with a dialog box, and it'll tell you how many clips are missing, uh, where their former pass was, and you click the button, try to relink to it. So... Okay. It's um, it's actually very, very, you know, um, perfectly tailored. I think for something where um, you know, solid state storage is going to be really expensive. Yes. Right. So uh, upgrading upgrading the iPad to have enough storage to you know be able to work with is just going to be cost prohibitive in many cases. So I've found that um, you know, the things that I've been able to do as far as where we import. I imported a couple of clips that I shared as a um, as an iCloud album. So I was in my Dropbox app, moved them moved over, I was looking at the Dropbox app from my iPad, and I'm creating selects, and then I used the share function, shared a, an iCloud library, just so that I'd have access to it from my iCloud account across all of my different devices, uh, which worked really well, so... My laptop opens up. I've got a, I've got an iCloud share, and I can see those clips that I have from, you know, from the guitar maker. And then, um, you know, I did the same in the iPad as well, and imported those clips that I shared. Um, they worked really nicely, just as easily as as any other clip that I imported. But the other clips that I was primarily working with in my test, um, I used an external uh, USB C SSD like the Samsung T5. Yeah. And because I have that dock, I can just connect both. So I can connect power and I can connect the drives and, and that. So that's really how I've been testing it lately.
2: Okay. If you have like a Synology on your network, um can you link I mean I think that shows up in the Synology Drive app, which is in the Files app. So it can see that through that um is that a workflow, and it would, would it create you know proxy videos so editing would still remain uh, fast working on a network attached storage? Or um... yeah, so if you're if you're playing media from the network, then you know clearly
1: we have the streaming capabilities. Your your download speed, your which would be your connection to your network, and if in the case of using, say, the dock idea for the iPad, um, and it and if it comes with you know, a hardware ethernet port that would obviously be better. Yeah. You know, more reliable than, than trying to do the same over wifi. Uh, unless you have a really fast Wi-Fi router that, you know, doesn't pick up. Yes. Much. <laughs> um, it seems that wired ethernet is, is just more stable for that. So I would say that, um, your, your workflow suggestion about the, the NAS, right. you have, in your case, you have the Synology. Yeah. I actually own two synologies. Um, Yes. Great. Okay. So following up on this analogy question, because you had asked about connecting the NAS and, um, you know, I haven't had a chance to do that because I didn't have the correct doc at this point yeah. to, to test that workflow. Um, but I was able to, I was able to see how, um, you know, connecting some of the other pro apps to the iPad, like, you know, I've I've got my Skype and my Slack on there, all of, all of my, all of my, um, you know, my email, works flawlessly um but that that also included things like my sharing apps so i have yes. i have a hightail account and i have a dropbox account and that just gives me access to you know all the media and most of the time since so the dropbox account as we released in version 18 um the proxy generator app has an auto routine which will update um proxies directly to a shared dropbox account oh, nice. so i found that that that's kind of the way that, that I would probably be doing this. Um, I did create one share, mounted to it through my iPad, and then I just made some, you know, made some selects. When I had selects, that's when I sent them to the iCloud because I, I needed to test the ability to do the iCloud share as well um, for media acquisition.
2: Yeah, I was wondering, yeah, just how smart it is. Of, I've got this external hard drive. I plug into the iPad. Let me plug that drive into the Mac. Does it Does it... No, recognize it's the same hard drive on different OSs and all that. It seems that it, it, it does, does pretty well. Yeah. yeah, it
1: does. It my um my little Samsung T five, I think I keep that I have I have multiple little T fives. And I think the one that I brought, um, I'll have to verify what format I used. And I wanna say by default I used to use those as XPat because I would I would format them in the camera. So the Pocket Similar Camera 4Ks that I have for my my video setup um, which it runs through a little ATEM switcher I actually use the um, I use the T5s as their recording media okay yeah so I'll just format directly in the back of the camera when you're in the LCD and you add and you add storage you'll see it'll show up It's like card one card two and you click the little card one button Um, it's a touch screen interface it's Blackmagic OS
2: yeah
1: the one that's on the phone (laughs) Uh, And the one that's on the camera, rather. Um, So yeah, it's uh, that's that's basically um, my workflow today. Yeah, Samsung T5, and then and then a handful of little things that have been shared. But most of my acquisition is done directly through the, you know, adding a camera card, camera media, and I look at it like the like a a dit or or like an onset, you know, camera camera media acquisition um, rule, right, which is camera cards come in, you make your first copy off to your raid, right? You need to make sure it's safe. Yes. Uh, And then you go ahead and make all of your other, you know, your other copies as per the three two one um, booklet now that Netflix has released about doing all those things. (laughs) So, yeah, I would say that my workflow tends to drop camera media and then generate proxies kind of every time a new camera card shows up. So um, I would think you could probably take that role with ci tab where you simply acquire camera media start making your transfers to all of your your devices uh, especially if if in the case of you know sending things to dropbox might be necessary
2: yeah right you can
1: obviously connect
2: and if you're creating proxy footage are you able to go offline away from the original source media and then once you're back at the source media that's when you do your big export with the full resolution yeah actually um that's a good question and if you
1: look at the way that um, that the media pool is represented in the iPad, what you're going to see is that when you long press on media, you can um, you'll you'll get the context menu, the same the same menu you get in the right click on the desktop OS. And in the context menu, you'll see things like um, relink to proxy or link to full resolution media. Um, the assumption there is that you know you're obviously working with this lower resolution media to start with, and then um, if if this was the full resolution media that you're working with, you might want to link it to a proxy file and then you could switch to using the proxies. Now, if you look at the, um, the playback menu in the desktop OS, you'll find that it has a a quick selection to, to switch between working with proxies and preferring camera originals. And, um, in that workflow with multiple OSs involved, um, it's quite likely your workflow would be creating proxies, linking to proxies, and then when your iPad connects and relinks to its own copy, it's relinking to its own copy of the proxies anyway, because yeah. you probably didn't want to send the full resolution camera media over for an iPad to work on. Right. Yeah. yeah. And because, like I said in the past, uh, you know, when we were talking earlier about formats, this supports the H264, H265, um, ProRes, and it's obviously it supports our own Blackmagic RAW but it does not support the frame based raw media okay. that's you know captured say in like a .ari or r 3d because their frame stacks they don't they're not recognized the
2: same way. Okay. So, yeah. Something i noticed if i click on timeline 1 it gives me a drop down. It kind of makes me feel uh-huh. like i can add multiple timelines and kind of swap between them, is that? Is that a thing? You absolutely can do that actually. And so, if you press and hold again, it's the long press, uh-huh. and
1: inside the media pool, when you do that, what you'll see is that you have a you know create new timeline option. Well, in addition to the create new timeline option, there's also a create new timeline from selected clips. Um, you would ask, you know, a little bit about maybe um, doing a long play, right? If you can, if you can create more than one timeline, then cr- clearly you could create more than one timeline that you put together into one long play timeline. Yeah. So the workflow there would be. To create your individual timelines, then simply drag select across them in the media pool, press and hold yeah. until you get the contextual menu and say, use these selected clips to make a new timeline. You'll now see whatever that timeline dialog box pops up in between. You can name that long play. Is it- You'll see all of them cut in, which essentially just creates a nest. right? Huh. And it's something that we have access to in the desktop version as well. Um, you know, a timeline can be a source, so you can cut from one timeline to another, which then allows you the opportunity to choose to deepimpose your edit yeah. at the same time, which if you just want to bring the clips over the way they were, or if you just want to leave them as compound clips, essentially just you know nested together until Is you it? get you know, what you need, um, this will allow you the same option. Okay. You, you can do that the same way. In fact, that was the the first thing that I did was try to find a way to create another compound clip yeah that we didn't have directly from inside the edit interface, yeah so and um, is there a way to name this. the
2: timelines, or are they just num- numbered yeah, actually, I think if you hold
1: let me click on mine yeah because i have I have a bin here um if you click, you can actually click click on it and and choose to rename it the um The other thing is when it's created um in the long press right on the media pool. When it's created, if you say create a new timeline, the dialog box that pops up does give you an option right there for for creating a timeline name. Okay. In fact, it also allows you to deselect something called use project settings, which means that every timeline you create can have completely independent settings of the project. So you may have a project.
2: Right. This is uh, kind of like in Avatar 2, how some scenes will have the high frame rate version. And then... <laughs> yeah, Right. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. might have
1: a need, right? Yes. Like, um, like to deliver for James Cameron. Yeah, and congratulations if you do. So, yes, absolutely, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but yeah, and in that case, then you can just create a new a new timeline and say, well, this timeline is going to be fifty nine nine four instead yep. of twenty four or twenty three nine eight. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can also create different output resolutions. You can choose, like, if I if I deselect the use project settings, I also have the ability to change my timeline output. So there's a little bit of an image scaling process that happens in terms of the source media to the timeline resolution, to the output resolution. Mm -hmm. All of that processing is done in 32 bit float. Like, like we've been doing, you know, legendarily, which essentially just means it's enough mass, um, at enough resolution that we can transform back and forth without losing anything. Yeah. So, um, this allows us to do some things like maybe we're working with 2K Media and our format is an HD timeline, but our output needs to be 3840. You could make that work and simply using the, the mismatch resolution option to scale entire image to fit. Or if you're choosing a greater resolution, you could use our super scale option. Super scale, again, being the DaVinci Neural Engine um, you know, enhanced features. Yeah. And there are many of those. Those are some of the ones that we mentioned earlier. That would be included in the studio version.
0: This crossed my
2: mind. 3D editing, is this is this a thing? Um <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah. So I mean, if you needed to work with stereoscopic,
1: that is a feature of the you know, of the studio version in, in the desktop OS. Now okay. I have not had the opportunity to uh look into like what the happens when you open tools
2: that that project up on the iPad, like, what does it do with it? Yeah, that's Yeah, that's what does it do right. with the stereo left-eye, right-eye? Well, that's a very good
1: question I'm going to have to test and, and get back to you on, because I, I don't have an example stereo left-eye, right-eye. But the way that that works in the desktop version, and I would attempt to try, if you do have access to some stereo media. It's um, been a
2: I I Back, like, a decade ago, I had the GoPro set up with the 3D Link... And that was so yeah. much fun to play with. So it's been about decades since I played out 3D. Uh, it was a fun time. Uh, it's day. fun, yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, it, you'll find that obviously it's it's really um, it's a high end feature request, yes. you know, for yeah. a lot of things. It's Not normal. It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's not something that very many people do. I was talking to um, to a group that th- that pretty much focuses on this right now. It's yeah. one of the largest VFX companies. It's called uh, DNEG. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, there's there. I was just talking to the group that does their stereo 3D uh, work. Yeah, and so we were kind of talking about you know resolve features and, and things like that. But, yeah. So essentially, you pair your left eye and right eye in separate bins in the media pool, mm-hmm. and so you just have left content, right content. Um, and I I will have to try that to yeah. see you know just what we can do because
2: yeah, yeah, that's a studio <laughs> feature. Yeah. <laughs> and then something I noticed as well is. I kept on adding tracks, and Ugh. I hit sixty before I tried to add any more. Is there a limit? Can you had unlimited tracks in the iPad version?
1: I don't know that there's a limit, a physical limit on tracks, because that because we did port the desktop OS, you know, version, and there's no limit to the number of tracks there. It's effectively unlimited now. In the desktop version, you're still fighting screen space. I would yes. imagine that's probably the limiting factor in absolutely the iPad as well. Yeah.
2: So. Yeah, it was doing a good job condensing things down. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More. it's like, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And mine is the 12.9 inch uh, M2 iPad Pro. So this one has the eight gigs of RAM. Yeah, I would imagine if you've got the upgraded model that included the one terabyte or the two terabytes. Yep. that your RAM increases and then yes, that would that's... probably give you greater access to that. Yeah, stuff.
2: I had the one. I have the one terabyte one because I also knew you get more RAM with that. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So with the Blackmagic Cloud, there's a huge benefit if you're working on Mac and having the same project there. Um, does it kind of act as a little bit of a backup as well if you're iPad only? And like, are there benefits if you're just an iPad user of having Cloud and using that? You know, um, it's it's. I mentioned the benefits
1: of using the Blackmagic Cloud earlier. In fact, I mentioned I mentioned how that's pretty much um, how I envision the collaboration working. Yeah, but it's not. It's not necessary, obviously. I mean, if you if you work from the iPad um, and you want to be, you know, you want to be a solo artist, uh, you can you can work in the Project Manager. You'll see that there's three different ways that Project Project Manager shows uh, shared projects, and one would be the local. Mm-hmm. The local installation is just local to this individual device. Then the network tab actually allows you to be connected to others that you might be in a inside a protected facility, a okay. single facility, you know, um, local area network. And then the cloud tab actually engages the um the Black Magic design hosted web service, which okay. is to um, you know, the Black Magic Cloud shared project library interface. Well, the benefit of the cloud is obvious because you can access it from wherever you happen yes. to be. Um, and then those collaborators are wherever they happen to be around the globe. So you, you have true global collaboration, um, by accessing the the cloud shed library. The, um, the issue, I will say there's not an issue. It's not an issue. I would say, what would I say? What would I really say? What I'm really just trying to say is that the cloud service itself is a hosted service and only the host is going to pay for that. It's a $5 US a month service for every cloud library you have standing up. Okay. Uh, you can pause them. So you uh-huh. can come back. If you know if work took six weeks but then it's down for three weeks, you can pause it, come back. Yeah. Um re reenable it again. It's basically just um it's five dollars a month and and like other things, you really are trying not to charge for things that we offer. Right? Yes. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's a very nominal fee. So five dollars a month just so that we can allow you to have access to sharing these cloud projects. Uh, with your your global collaborators, and none of the collaborators have to pay. Okay. So you just have to get a Blackmagic ID. or Well, it's actually a Blackmagic cloud ID. So if we go to our website and and you look at the uh, navigation, um, the navigation bar to the right, there's a little cloud icon next mm-hmm. to the uh, U.S. Um, or your, your country's icon, right? And so when you click the cloud icon, that actually opens up the cloud service page Will allow you to, if you haven't already logged in, to create a like, magic Cloud ID. Those are free. Yeah. Once you've created the Cloud ID, the host who also has a Cloud ID and is logged into their their same interface through that Cloud button, you'll see the Project Server and the Settings options enabled when you've done that. So the host then logs into their Project Server, selects the projects that they you know that mm-hmm. they want to add to that that server, and then those projects simply become available. In fact, the server will just show up to every collaborator who's been invited. Yeah. So when you click the cloud tab and you log into your Resolve to your Blackmagic Cloud ID, then you'll just see them. It'll just indicate every shared library you have access
2: to. Okay. And so the original resolution video, of course, is not uploaded along. It's linked, as we said before. Is proxy footage uploaded along with into the cloud account for remote editing or do you need a or does proxy footage need to be generated on each individual computer um is that the it approach It can
1: be shared proxy footage but it's actually not being shared over the cloud uh library that's just for the projects themselves so okay. projects and metadata is being shared in the library and then the other um even methods of sharing the media itself would be, you know, how you would choose to get media to your collaborators, and and mm-hmm. in the case of say, you know, uh, a camera media DIT station that's taking original camera media and then making their transfers, um, you know, that's that's where you would engage the Blackmagic Proxy Generator app. So as camera cards come in, um, you have a watch folder that says, "Great," as my media gets transferred to my my SAN, uh, you know, uh, then. When you're pulling that directory, please automatically generate proxies in this format. When it does that, you can click the Extract button to create just a folder of those proxies because this process is normally done for a resolve that's on that system. Yeah. So once you've extracted the proxies, you can send that folder of proxies everywhere. You can Mm -hmm. zip it up. You can email it if it's tiny or you can just go through the Dropbox options, which are also included. Um, So if if you have a Dropbox account, you can simply set up the auto routine with that. Same goes for the uh, Google Drive. There are, there are options to do syncing to share folders on both of those platforms. Gotcha.
2: And then color coding clips is something I noticed is something pretty intriguing. Uh, how have you seen people use this? And can you rename colors? Can can green be like forest? And like, can you do stuff like that? Yeah, I know. Um, actually, you can't rename the
1: color labels themselves. But what you can do... Um, and I'll go into how the colors really get used, but this is really a metadata question. Yeah, since Resolve is really key with metadata, we we track a ton of metadata on these clips. That's, um, you know, the ability to have uh, uh, labels and keywords and things like that would all be added in the metadata section for sure. The colors themselves, I find that um, the way that I use the the color coding, um, the, the way that I've used it in the past and, and most recently, actually, on the short films that I was talking about, the um, I had uh, I was in conform on one of them, mm-hmm. and VFX returns were coming back from the vendor. So as VFX returns would would come back, and I would drop them into my bin, I would color code every one of those from my bin, mm. and so now all all VFX you know were chocolate, yeah, right. So that everywhere I could. I could simply look across my timeline and find out where all of my chocolate were. Just visually, yeah, you could quickly see that. right? But additionally, in, in the end of page, a function called the edit index window. When you open the edit index window, you can actually sort by the marker color, a lot of metadata attributes. So in this case, I would sort by clip color and say, just show me all of my VFX returns. It essentially creates a like a live EDL where you just navigate in between your... So yeah, I found it incredibly useful for that, but I've also used it for narrative mm-hmm. where, um, if I have like two uh, two people on camera in a dialogue scene, you know, the standard three angles, right we have we have the two shot, we have one over the shoulder and we have one over the shoulder opposite yeah and in in those environments, one, you probably are being asked by all in the stakeholders and the producers and probably even sometimes uh-huh. some of the some of the actors, uh-huh. right? To make sure that they're on camera enough. Yes. Or to make sure that their good dialogue lines are there. And and so when you look at a narrative scene like that, um I found that what I'll do is uh in the metadata tagging, I will sort by actor. Uh-huh. Um and in resolve you can actually do this with the people keywords. So you can you can uh you can look across an entire bin of content and, and then find out all the people that are in it. It'll identify it for you because the neural engine is, is recognizing there are people in it. So the okay. AI recognizes that person. You can then give that person a label. And as you label that person, you'll see a bin is created for you automatically. So having access to a bin of people, what I'll do at that point is I'll color code the people in terms of the the clip colors. Yeah. Then when I'm looking at a scene I've cut, it's, you know, a minute long or four minutes long, it doesn't matter. As I zoom all the way out to this, the checklist mode of, you know, 150 different edits in this thing, um, what you can see in that color way is now the relative weight of, you know, who's seen is this, yeah. right, narratively, right? Is it is it the lead, ca- lead actor A, or lead actor B, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also that's a great way to at least be able to answer those questions that you're going to have in the editorial review, like, Hey, do you think you featured this person in this? Mean, well, actually, here. <laughs> Let's show you this picture. Yeah. No, that's Dead really
2: neat. <laughs> and creating multi cam footage, um, what's that process like? And that visual of seeing the colors would also translate into that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean exactly. If you wanted to use colors to represent angles, that might that might even be another way that I tried. So that's I like that idea too. Yeah. Um I would say that Multi-cam on here is, is actually very simple. Um, one of the reasons for that is that, you know, I, I talked about the speed editor, but since I got the little video, yeah. now, you can see, right? Yep. So the, this these are direct multicam controls right here. This yeah. camera is one through nine,
2: yep. right?
1: Mm-hmm. So um, camera one through nine, and then there's also a function, if I look to where that is, there's live right, video only, and audio only buttons that are just on these three sides.
2: Right? Okay, yeah.
1: Okay, so what you do in Resolve and again, you can do this on the iPad. Um, I was very happy to find out that I could add a sync relationship to this. But from the media pool, you import your media. So say your angles, right? Uh-huh. And then um, you cut in the cut page. You simply cut in your primary angle. Okay. Right? And whenever that is. So uh-huh. in the, in the mold scene we were talking about with the three cameras, imagine that we're shooting multi-cam which they never do yes and they have the angles all properly organized okay so in that workflow we could say great those
2: because most of the time do they shoot the scene multiple times so they can have clear lines yeah they don't have cameras behind obviously because
1: otherwise imagine if you're shooting over the shoulder you're essentially shooting you're shooting from right behind this this shoulder yeah there'd be no way to hide the camera see you yeah, and then shooting right behind your camera to see me, is yeah. we're going to see the cameras <laughs> the whole time. So Yes. But, okay, so you import your media. You then um, cut that, that main angle in. Um, in the media pool, what you can do is so, drag select across your angles and then click the sync button. The sync mu- button will now let you have a uh, uh, like a sync map uh-huh. uh, interface where you get to choose. Do you want to sync from time code? Do you want to sync by waveform? Do you want to sync by you know, marker you might have already defined or <laughs> by in and outs, right? Once you've done that, you click the sync button, you say and it closes. Now, if you look up in the left corner, the top left corner of the iPad in the media pool area, there's a button uh, above it next to media that says sync. That's actually the sync in representation. So what you'll see is in that in that timeline you've just created where you just appended one primary angle, as you scrub over that angle, your sync bin will live scrub over the other angles that are also in sync with
2: it. Yeah, okay. And that
1: makes editing very simple. You press the, you know, say you've got the master audio on the primary angle. This is. So cool. you click the video only button, you simply add a cutaway. You are know, like yeah. video only, camera two, cutaway. And you can cut away with either, you know, in-out buttons, um, it, you can drag scroll, or you can use the jog shuttle wheel. Um, it's, it's very fluid actually. So it's a really, it's a really fun, uh, multi-cam, you know, cutaway workflow to, to yeah, use that. The first
2: time I discovered multi-cam and audio syncing, it was like, oh, this is, this is great. <laughs> it's <just> such a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you have the footage and the, the source material, it's, it's fun to work that way. You're like live editing. Yeah. And especially, you know, now that we also make the ATEMs and in the,
1: uh, in the last couple of years, having released the little minis. The one of the models that we released is called the uh, the A10 Mini ISO or mm-hmm. ISO, right? And so that actually will trigger record all the cameras that are connected to it, and it records internally to the to the switcher. It records um, every camera ISO angle as an H.264, so you always get a proxy of everything individually because it's triggered the cameras to record. They're all now recording internally on RAW. Yeah, so you have proxies. You have RAW, 4K or 6K or whatever you've captured. Um, but then the ISO, the A10 switcher actually generates a DaVinci Resolve project for you. Yeah. You can launch that project and it'll have your cutaways. so That's you So you can go conform to 4K later if you want.
2: Yeah. And um, so something I really appreciate about using the app on the iPad was um, with the trackpad, if you hover over a video clip with the trackpad, it'll kind of scrub through that. Are there other ways that using a trackpad um is kind of advantageous versus just using your finger. Yeah. Um
1: I've not tried the trackpad because I ended up getting the um I got the Magic Folio rather than the yes. the other yep. Apple version that had the trackpad. So mine just has the keyboard. And um but because you know I also got the pencil. Yes. Um you can do the same thing with the pencil. So if you hover over with the pencil uh, over over anything. So in in the example, if we go to the color page and you go to the LUT view and you're looking at your viewer screen, if you hover over the LUTs, you'll actually be able to scrub across to see what your LUT would look like before oh, you Oh, very it. cool. Yeah. Right? And the same function as, is in the media pool when you're in the cut page. You can yeah. hover over and mark selections. Um, it's, it's, very, it's very fluid, actually. It, that part works very nicely. So I'd imagine if you had, say, a trackpad version or even the magic magic trackpad, you know, yeah. Option. If that was working with it, then that would be pretty nice too. Yeah. And... I touch the screen so often. Yeah. I'm trying to touch the <laughs> screen on my laptop all the time too. Yes.
2: So. <laughs> you mentioned uh, tapping and holding as a way to get, you know, get into different parts of the user interface. Are there other little gestures or things that are less discoverable worth pointing out?
1: Yeah, it's, I'm, I've been discovering them uh as we go. Uh You know, it's, it's been a, um, the long tress has really been the the key. I think I found that the way that the interface has organized some of the tools that I'm expecting to be in or menus and having removed the menuing essentially in favor of you know of icons. Um, yeah, I I find the pencil helps me a lot actually. Yeah, because might I don't fat finger something. You know, I'll just I'll be able to tap directly on it. And in terms of say. You know the viewer in the cut page or, um, or the viewer in the color page. If you're looking at that, um, you know, at the viewer itself in the cut page by example, there's that, there's that dot in the center with the two outward pointing arrows, right? Arrows that go to either side out. And that's, that's essentially just a scroll, right? All this, all this great scroll that I have available in my speed editor, you know, you have that on the interface. I find it's incredibly easy to do that with the pencil because you just tap yeah. it and then just you know, go back and forth with it. So yeah, um, that and the Bezier handles, like if I'm using, if I'm in the color page and I'm creating a secondary from a power window selection, mm-hmm. um, the ability to use the polygon tool and then just adjust Bezier handles with my pencil, I find very, very simple with this tool.
2: Yeah. And as far as keyboard shortcuts, is it the exact mm-hmm. same, do you know the shortcuts on the Mac version? Are those keyboard shortcuts there on the iPad? You know, um, I, I saw somebody who would, who would, um, I, so I have a better
1: word. They were trying to, well, hack in, but see more, see more of the tools, right? Yeah. And, um, and in that case, when you open the keyboard shortcut menu, you'll see that there's a lot of things that you can control for, but there's also ways that you can add controls. So if so the keyboard shortcut doesn't exist already, uh-huh. you just add a second version, you know, like, oh, you know, maybe it's this already, but I'm so familiar with this version. Let me just add this to my keyboard shortcuts so that it works that way. And I would imagine that we're probably going to get to the point where, um, you know, we'll be we'll be allowing, you know, more of the the keyboard shortcut interactions. Um, right now, the only one that I really use, that I really use all the time, is uh, is shift Z or Z. Right? Uh-huh. If I'm in the if I was in another page on the desktop version, shift Z is going to take my timeline and it's going to set it into my view right yeah so the whole timeline whatever zoom i am in, mm-hmm. that's essentially like a toggled zoom state yeah well z when you're on the color page just does the same thing for the viewer okay and since in the viewer of the color page you can actually zoom in and get close to your detail um just hit the z button just resets it right away so that's yeah. definitely the, the shortcut i use the most right now
2: for adding those secondary keyboard shortcuts that's a mac only feature right now is that right it does appear
1: that um, that that's not supported in the archive yet. Um, so I'm I can't really speak to whether it's going to be. I did gotcha. I did follow along with you know with a YouTuber to see what they were what they were able to see. Yeah, um, which is very interesting to see how they you know <laughs> they're like well if you we just use these shortcuts the shortcuts that you might remember right. from using the you know the desktop version um, yeah that they that they do work you know I mean, yeah I think I think they I think the shift plus uh, option works so if i move say shift because it's shift three right mm-hmm. shift three and shift six yeah so um i think i can i no i didn't i didn't actually shift pages yeah it didn't shift pages for me this time well i had seen it do that uh, so it's uh it's possible that that was when i was testing it out <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> with the, yeah with the shift show, patch that have been customized but yeah um i noticed that if you look at the. Uh, if you look at the project settings, there's there's a lot of things that are available in the desktop version that are in preferences that, that deal with how we, we interact with multiple GPUs or um you know, whether you have video hardware connected yeah. and and that kind of stuff, route and audio. Um, those are obviously not going to be, you know, a necessary uh, aspect of this software. So right. um You know, we we are going to be able to configure multiple external GPUs, likely. I mean, maybe we will, but I can't imagine how.
2: (laughs) No. Yeah, and um, Blackmagic sells audio consoles. Is that something that would work on iPad or no? That's something I would have to test. I probably should have
1: asked Mary, who has all of the consoles, if she's had a chance to do that yet. Yeah. Because she has one of everything right now, I think. Uh, The desktop editor... That would be see if they're if they're not going to be Bluetooth capable, then the um, so we would have to find those? out. Yeah, then we would have to find out if they if they could be recognized by the iPad um, as
2: USB, right? So it's yeah. really just a matter of testing. And yeah, if it needs iPad, special drivers or anything like that, yeah. right? If it
1: needs a special driver,
2: yeah. yeah. But then as long as um as long as
1: those you know were satisfied, I would imagine it would be functional, but yeah, um I have not I've not been able to test that yet, okay, I also need to test that on the uh on the micro panel you know because that's, we have ways and and while everyone was kind of working from home or at least while working from home was the primary way that everyone was doing things for the last two plus years um that it that helped to um. I don't know, it promoted new technologies, right? And so mm-hmm. in addition to being able to be on-prem with a physical hardware in front of you, um, uh, we were able to get people to remotely access Resolves yeah. and remotely access Resolve hardware from local <laughs> hardware as well. That's wild. Um, so that it was pretty wild to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and we we had a lot of you know full-time high-end working colorists who were doing their work from their house on you know uh davinci resolve three thousand dollar color mini panel yeah you know when they have the thirty thousand dollar advanced panel back at the suite mm-hmm. that's in the building that like no one is allowed to go into yes it. yeah
2: so. and then uh, i noticed you can set a default transition what's the quickest and easiest way to say i have two clips right next to each other to add that transition that default transition in there so when the playhead is there at the cut
1: between them, and in fact, even if it's close enough to the cut between them, it's uh-huh. essentially a smart edit. And um, there's a button in the interface. So if you're in the cut page and you're looking at the uh, at the viewer tools, right? And depending uh-huh. on how your interface is, is uh, open right now, mine has extra extra media pool open to the left, as opposed to the inspector open to the right, which does shift things. So looking beneath the viewer itself... And then looking at the, um, at the tools, there are editing tools that are underneath the media pool that includes like insert, which is a smart insert, yep. append, which will always append at end. If you go to the end, there's two little icons there. One is a cut icon is and it? one is a dissolve icon. And essentially, if you get to the split between, between these clips, um, you can simply add... And let's just go to that next clip. There we go. You can just add and dissolve by clicking the dissolve button. Now, if you press and hold on the dissolve button, which is that far right button Mm -hmm. uh, closest to the viewer, then you'll also see that you have dissolve and smooth cut. Smooth cut is basically something you might use over three to four flames, where you have, maybe you're cutting this. Say, imagine you're cutting me now as a talking head. Yeah. And, you know, I went from this scene, and then I had too many ums and ahs and whatever, and then I went to this. So it'll morph essentially between those two Okay. The smooth cut is great for that, you know, that kind of uh, uh, EPK or, or behind the scenes kind of work. But anytime you have a transition that's in that's in your um, in your sequence, if your playhead is over the transition and you want to default to remove that, you can just click the cut button. Essentially, it's now just a straight cut again.
2: Okay. And then um, green screens, blue screens, and masking—is that something yeah. a part of the iPad version? Yeah, so um, I've tested a very
1: limited amount of this of the keying options here, and I did it in the color page. But what you should look at is in the cut page, if you go to the effects tab, okay, at the very top left-hand corner, it's media, sync, transitions, titles, effects. When you click on effects and you go to the video tab, if we're searching, we want to search for 3D keyer. Okay. okay? Um, when you add... You just drag, like anything else, you just drag to the clip you want, the 3D keyer. Then select the clip and look at the inspector tools. Because mm-hmm. every time you have a clip selected in Resolve across all four platforms, its tools will be shown in the inspector. Then you'll see in the inspector that you have the video layer tools, you have the audio layer tools, and then next to that you have the effects. Okay. And in effects, that's actually where you will, you will control the 3D keyer. That includes the eyedropper, which you would imagine samples your background. Is mm-hmm. Um, it, it also offers some options like you want to look in the YUV color space or the HSL color space depending on how your your you know footages um, you know worked out you might get better results from one or the other if you look at the way that that happens in the cut page it's a vertically stacked timeline yeah right? so it's a vertical stack composite so if you put the green screen at the top and you key the green alt you will see beneath it right right when you go to do the same thing in the color page what you find is you're doing this function again with the 3D key tool so mm-hmm. if you go to the effects tab and then you search for three, 3D you'll see 3D here when you add that to the node you also have to um, add an alpha output to okay. the color page which you can get from the three dot menu so if you're looking at the node flow area look above it to the three dot menu it says add key mixer add alpha output And show thumbnails. So, add alpha output will now add a blue dot underneath that yellowish green dot that's there in the nodes, which indicates your signal path. Okay. That's just like a flow chart. Yeah. Signal path comes from the green dot to the node and back out. Uh So, you'll see that there's a blue node to connect. So, once you've pulled the key now in the color page, you've selected your green or your blue. Yeah. And you've got a key. You've got you've created transparency by selecting and removing that color. Mm-hmm. You add the alpha output, and you pipe the alpha output, and now the color page has created the transparency to the background. As well. I see. Okay, that
2: sounds that sounds awesome. Um, yeah, you mentioned the inspector panel being something pretty important. Something I noticed in there is this dialogue level, which just sounds amazing. So it mm-hmm. it's doing some kind of AI to boost or lower. Dialogue without touching the other parts like if there's some background ambient you leave like the, you you the street noise alone if you want that a part of your shot it's in there essentially
1: and... yeah it just provides you know even more specific tools and that is a newer tool that did get released relatively uh recently even in the desktop version. um very effective i, I recall one of the uh, one of the demos from um our collaborator the uh, in the European office was just walking around with the felt with an iPhone and, mm-hmm. and walking around, flipped the camera up and just started some selfie vlogging. Yeah. And, um, and recorded it. Oh, natural out mm-hmm. walking about. Yes. And then sliding the dialogue processor, just, that ima- you know, the dialogue level just cleared up all of that quiet with all the background noise. It's, it's really pretty Im- impressive. And if you look at, If you look at what's available, you know, to the cut page, you have some audio level options, right? That's available on every clip. Yeah. So any clip, again, it will present its tools to the inspector. When you're in the inspector, you can now choose between the tool groups. And in this case, we're going to switch to the audio tool. Uh, You have a 4 van EQ that's available on every clip as well. Um, And then, you know, you look at what, what that means for, like, the full workflow when you get to the full desktop version, and you're looking at the Fairlight panels, and you're looking at all the other Fairlight processing. Each one of those tracks also has a six-band EQ. So okay. there's there's probably the dialogue processor, the vocal channel, and the dialogue leveler that I think are the are the things that you're probably going to be using the most in, in life, the audio tools because everybody needs to clean up you know dirty dialogue, yes, the audio, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. And then. In the video inspector, I noticed there's this dynamic zoom. Is that like trying you mentioned earlier there's an AI for recognizing people? Are you able to set like Is a certain it... person to kind of follow around a bit? You know, um that's that's actually like two different things. So I should okay. probably talk
1: a little about that. If I if I go to say so will go to this clip and then we'll move to the dynamic zoom. Um so uh yeah, dynamic zoom. Dynamic zoom is available on the clip in the inspector, and um, it, while the ability to uh, to track a person would be a different function, this is more like um, if you wanted to create a natural. Um, movement like a like a push in and zoom, uh-huh. you know, on your content. Yeah, the dynamic zoom is doing this over the length of the clip, so it's, oh, okay, its speed is entirely determined by the length of your clip. I see, and it's automatically going to transform between the green rectangles and the red rectangles that show up when you enable those the the interface tools. Okay, which if you're looking at the viewer, there's a little uh, there's a fast review button on the lower left, the next button over actually engages the hidden tools that will drop light underneath the viewer itself. Some of those are going to be duplicated by what's in the inspector. Um, But this is just how the cut page interface was created to kind of, you know, present tools and then hide tools and get about it. So when you're looking at those tools, you'll see the green and the red rectangles. And um, in their default position, they're you know, green is an inset, right? So essentially it would say that we start, we start slightly punched in. Yes. And then red, we finally finished to the full wide shot, right? Yeah, I mean, you can swap that very simply in the inspector. Just click the swap button. And you can of course engage some of the, you know, um, linear ease out or ease in or ease in and out options that are available under the pull down, pull down menu. Yeah. Uh the other thing that you're talking about would be if you wanted to uh if you wanted to track and let's see if we've got if we've got that here, because this is what I actually hadn't tested yet. Um we have crot. There we go. Yeah. So we don't, we don't have that one. No, we don't have that one. Let's try this. Let's go to portrait mode. Yeah. Okay. So that's working perfectly. Um, so above the viewer, what I was hoping to be is able it? to answer there, and I guess we'll just have to touch on this later. And yeah. Maybe I would be able to get a better answer for you and then and we can, I'll send you a little recording or something, yeah, yeah. but, um, I'll probably have to find out from the devs right now if this is on the, on the block. Um, Essentially, yeah, being able to reformat your horizontal, uh, you know, landscape mode uh, footage in the portrait means you probably need to focus on another uh, subject. Yes. You need, you need that automatically. So that is a function of the desktop version right now. And we're going to have to find out if, uh, if or when, um, you know, this becomes something that we can do. And it's called Smart Reframe. Okay. And again, you can either allow the Smart Reframe option to automatically figure out. Is mm-hmm like you said it's the neural engine that's doing some of this this you know smart reframing right so once we've told the neural engine in this case we've directed smart reframe with a with a rectangular window it's so this is the area you need to focus on it's automatically going to keep that area of focus in our portrait mode video now and um and it creates the uh it creates keyframes for the for the you know, translation right for the zoom yeah. and position so nice it does all that in yeah. So I'll have to ask okay. if that's coming, because that's coming, yeah, yeah. that might be something, you know, we could have.
2: As far as artificial intelligence type stuff, um, are there other areas in the app that that's kind of baked into? Like, can I search for water and it finds clips that have water? Or How what, what other areas does AI touch within Resolve? Yeah. Um,
1: so in some of our in some of our Resolve effects, we've used the... Um, neural engine features. Yeah. Um, that includes, like, facial recognition. So if you've seen the color effects for uh, beauty and face recognition, what they're doing is they're um, they're recognizing the shapes. Is mm-hmm. it? Recognizing that those shapes together mean that they're, they're a face, and then they're drawing all of these little different attributes that um, you know, and, and regions that we can select to make changes to so once face refinement has done the analysis and we see that there's an eye orbit here and there's a cheek here there's it has the shape of the nose then it opens up all these other attributes for us like um we can we can relight uh we can re we can add makeup in post um you know a lot of those things that we can do with because because davinci resolve has recognized that's a face is it we now have the ability to Lighten the eyes, sharpen the eyes a little bit, um, throw a little Robert Rodriguez style like highlight back yeah. into the eyes, you know, for our focus. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when we're in the super close crop and you know the, the furtive yeah. eye look. Quite, it, we we have all those all those options thanks to the DaVinci Neural Engine that's able to recognize that was a face. the, the other part I told you about was the um, the people recognition, the- which again is is finding people recognizing faces and then tracking them if we um if we've added keywords to any uh metadata fields then we also have the option of automatically creating bins from Mm -hmm. those keywords as well so that's those are those are kind of uh smart metadata driven um, tools you had asked about the video stabilization and um Yeah, there's definitely, there's the super scale option, which we kind of touched on when we were talking about the mismatch Uh uh, timeline output potential, right? You can use super scale, which is a DaVinci neural engine, um, you know, upscaling, up resolution, um, 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 you know, formula, if you will. And then um, video stabilization and the um, super scale is a big one. Super scale is a very large one that we use this for. Uh, object replacement, okay because essentially we're training we're training the um the neural engine to see the background of mm-hmm. our object, and then we simply we track we track a feature we'd like replaced, yeah, and then we connect it to there and then davinci resolve creates the appropriate huh. yeah, replacement background right so object yeah. replacement is good for that um, we do a lot of really high end effects actually in the in the resolve effects. The result, sucks color. Hey, good catch, shot. Well, we seek that one, and there we go. Yeah, Tight, tighten you down. All right. <laughs> that's good. It. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a lot of those are are diminishing neural engine um, enhanced, and that's one of those things that is definitely an improvement. Once you're, when um, you're talking about the, you know, the yeah. versus the studio version.
2: Something. I I had a little chuckle about when I discovered is you guys have a boring detector in the timeline with some sleeping icons. <laughs> can, you, can you share a bit about uh, what what this, what this is? It, what is boring? I know it does
1: seem <laughs> it does seem like you know are you are you asking for criticism <laughs> right from your now? Is that yeah. is this really what you want? Yeah, um, but it's it's much simpler than that. It, in reality, what it does is when you enable the boring detector, and you'll find that it's. It's also a long press um, that, that gives you some of the options that are on those little tools there. Well, once you've enabled a boring detector, it pops open the panel. The panel allows you to set. It's configurable for, um, you know, the duration of a clip that might be considered boring. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at your sequence and you've got, you know, especially I would imagine in a talking head interview, if you've got the same primary talking head angle in there. Uh, for too long it's going to look like it's lacking enthusiasm or energy right yeah he has to find a way to cut another angle in so the boring detector is just a way for you to set a preference and say hey if if any of my clips go over i don't know 12 seconds or so uh, on camera time then light them up for me yeah right and the other alternative uh tool that's that's in there that i find that's really quite useful for um you know, like QC work would mm-hmm. be the uh, the flash frame analysis. So in the same tool, uh, you have a flash frame option that says if you find that there are edits that are shorter than X number of frames, and the default, I believe it's five. Mm-hmm. If it's shorter than five frames, then please identify it for me. Yeah, uh, because I want to I want to be able to go get that frame that flash frame out. Yeah, and what it'll do is it'll actually it'll light up the timeline. So you'll, you'll see is the timeline will be highlighted. And the darkened region will be the area that would be considered fine. The yeah. lighter region is now. Oh no! I, I think work, you're boring, We're here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please look at this section. You're yeah. boring me to this. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really cool. And
2: then, the, as far as the 3D titles, uh, is that full feature set there from the desktop app? Like the um, like fusion, the fusion
1: titles. Yeah, because what we have is if you look at if you look at titles. Um, in the cut page here as an example. These Fusion titles, there's there's basic titles and then there's these animated. And so let's just grab one of the animated 3D titles like the simple lower box or... There we go. Slide. Slide in and scroll. So you just kind of drag that over and then as, you know, as you play back, it, it renders right off right off the bat from the gpu and and, and plays in real time now um there you're going to find that you can update these right when you select that clip and you go to the inspector it again brings its tools and you're limited in terms of being a fusion title because we don't have a fusion page right now in right. the ipad version to you know um customized templates and things like that yeah you know one of the one of the great features actually with the um with the desktop version of resolve is the ability to create editorial template uh titles for your you know for your sequences and then as you save those favorites they could they could be saved with the kinds of customized tabs that that your uh, end user will be will be customizing so you can give a preset and say here just use this preset it'll only allow you to access the name or the title or the whatever uh-huh. like all the rest of those attributes have been completely controlled yeah and are, and are hidden so those are the that's probably the way that i would i would see you might, might okay. want to use
2: that and then uh color grading um uh-huh. how extensive can this this get can i make a lord of the rings kind of like heavily <laughs> color created uh, video on the ipad i I think you can, yeah, I mean, as far as the color grading tools
1: are concerned um, what you'll we'll find is that it's it's basically the same tool set, um, and there's been a slight rearrangement to you know gain access to the way that we modify some of those tools and the in the color page as an example, when you're looking at the way that it's organized um, you'll see that the tools from the from the far left on the very first, tool that you see down there is camera raw right mm-hmm. camera raw gives us the ability to change the way that we're interpreting the raw media so we can okay. customize the D layer.
0: yeah
1: um that's beautiful next to that is where we get to our first color grading tool which is essentially the primary color wheels mm-hmm. and in resolve that's going to be broken down into the, the four different attributes right just the yrgb so you'll see the rings control the hue, and then the um, the slider underneath is essentially the luminance mm-hmm. for all of those different four attributes. You move over one and you're in the HDR controls, and so now the HDR controls offer an additional couple of uh, levels of control within those ranges. In fact, um, if you click on the icon, um, you'll see that you can create a zone graph. So once you've enabled the HDR tools Uh you either have wheels that you're looking at or a zone graph the zone graph actually will allow you to customize how those tools cross over so that if you're adjusting this side of one of those tools opposite this side if they're right up against each other then they push and pull but if they if they overlap slightly then yeah it was kind of a nice blend between how you've adjusted right so you can adjust the zone graph on those um and then of course if you're familiar with uh Um, you know, we have the custom curves area that's, that's still available. Um, there's six different options that are preset as well as being able to just customize your curve. Um, and then there's the color warper, Mm -hmm. which is either a six vector or an eight vector, um, you know, shape that draws essentially the, the color signal. So Mm -hmm. as you hover over a clip, you'll see the direction of the signal and you'll see the, the saturation of the signal and you can grab, um, you know, with the tools that are presented in that panel, uh, and manipulate that signal in completely different ways. So I, in addition to that, you can, you can export, uh, and import LUTs, right. In this Mm -hmm. case, if you've, if you've created a a grade, um, that you want to reuse, you might export it as a cube, LUT, or you might create a Valerie still. Right. Mm -hmm. And then again, you can replay the gallery still to apply it to any other clip, or you can uh, import the LUT. Or once you've exported a LUT that you've created, you export it to the appropriate um, final path that mm-hmm. that the iPad is going to see, which is essentially the LUT path where it's installed now.
2: Yeah. And then that LUT will show up and be available as well. So
1: you can do those
2: things. Are LUTs? Are lots within photography the same as video? Like, if you're editing a photo and you have lut set for that, if you want to kind of match it with the video you're working on, can you export from like a photo editor into into here? Well, I mean, it's a it's an interesting question because the lut is essentially a way. Of, well, it's
1: just the definition would be a lookup table, right? yeah, which is essentially the way of of transforming the um, the pixel locations. On a virtualized um, 3D uh, plot mm-hmm. in in x, y, and z space, so across the three different dimensions of of you know reality here, right? Yeah. And so the x, y, and z coordinates then make up what the um, where the pixel location is. So the pixel location then gets transformed from this coordinate to this coordinate in the lut itself as a chart of numbers. Yeah. So. In a way, a lot can be um, can be an easy way to to begin work it? because you're you're reordering all those pixels into the way that you into a, an order that you want to start with, um, and in some cases, it can actually be you know a limiting uh, a workflow because yeah. it is physically you know a, it is an absolute transformation if you will right it's a mathematical transformation
2: right the HDR stuff would not fully translate I'd imagine.
1: It's, it's, it's difficult to represent the dynamic range, yeah, right? Yeah, in, a, in the narrow uh, environment of a, uh, of a video signal. So the dynamic range right now that is, um, that is in the in the clips themselves, that's in mm-hmm. the source media themselves. the dynamic range is all courtesy of the camera. So when the, when the camera created that, the, uh, the sensor was able to grab as much data as possible, provided you've properly filled the sensor with data and you weren't clipping when you recorded it. Yeah, Um, this is the kind of thing that if you're recording in raw, you have this full feature, uh, um, you know, in, in post-production to completely change every way that you interpreted that raw pixel. Right. But if you've recorded a, a burned or a fixed format, then you hope that you've not clipped your, your content. But there's a way to do so so that you can at least preserve some of the highlight data, right? Is mm-hmm. it? This was, this was the, the workflow that a lot of people were using. It was called log, right? It's a logarithmic um, compression of uh, the linear signal. So if the linear signal starts at the lower left corner of the curves dialog and the top right corner of the curves dialog uh, makes a straight line from 0 to 1, 1, right? Mm-hmm. 0, 0 to 1, 1 that represents the full scale of, of rat, um, that direction rat, yeah. the, of all of the media itself. Well, if you were to take the halfway point and then start to curve it up, uh-huh. then what you've, what you've done is you've taken the, from 0 to 50% is now well, maybe a lesser amount in the actual signal. But, from fifty percent to a hundred represents a greater amount of the signal, so there's actually more gradation in between, yeah, so this is the the trick that essentially log allows you to open up with you know preserving some of the highlights or some of the shadow details well h d r is going to be h d r all the time when it's mm-hmm. in resolve, and it's only going to be limited by what you've chosen to output at the end, so yeah. Um, that's also the beauty of, of Resolve and the fact that it's a 32-bit floating-point calculation. It's not going to crop or loss or lose mm-hmm. any of that data um, in the process of, of transforming it for your looks. Now, instead of using a LUT for a, for a color grading workflow, if, however, you choose to use the raw media, make a slight raw adjustment in the color in the camera raw panel, and then do your work from raw. Uh-huh. Um, Resolve automatically when you've engaged color management reads the raw metadata, and has uh, been provided all of this information from from our camera manufacturers directly. So okay. if it's if it's Sony and Arri, um, you know they they've told us specifically what their formula is and how to decode it. So we've got their formula and we've got uh-huh. all that data, and when we recognize that from the metadata, we simply apply it. So you'll find that if you're in a color-managed workflow, that you have uh, that your raw just looks beautiful already, yeah. and you can start from that beautiful place to make your adjustments. And then to go, you know, if you really want to dirty it up and go noir and <laughs> take away some of the yeah. saturation, uh, you can totally do all of that. But you yeah. have all of the data available underneath the hood at any point to change your output later. Yeah.
2: And then as far as HDR, how does the app handle it on the iPad? Like if I'm on an XDR iPad pro, does it, is my preview an HDR on the iPad? If I hook up to an HDR compatible monitor, will that output show the real HDR or like what's that like?
1: Yeah. So I've done, I've only done single screen. iPad pro HDR work right now because mm-hmm. this, this 12.9 includes the XDR scene. And yes. It's beautiful. Um, I did attempt with my with my adapter to do a uh, stage manager, and I added another external monitor, uh, like an HDMI monitor. Is it? But that was a that's kind of a a very inexpensive kind of a, a business uh, display, if yeah. you will. You know, good good for spreadsheets and things like that. So I formatted my my business apps on it. I put my yeah. my you know, mail was on it, my Skype was on it, and, yeah, and then I had all my tools over there. And I left resolve on the on the iPad screen. Yeah. So I, I'm not so sure yet what we have uh, capable of. And I guess it would also be determined by um you know what, what level of support we might have uh, in the future with some of our video hardware devices. Because, okay. you know, in our workflow we're we're typically expecting the customer that is going to be um, you know grading a professional job for deliverable to have an external monitor and that yes. is professionally calibrated and um and a video signal that can guarantee you're gonna set it 10 bits yes minimum. It, Usually that means that in resolve we're working with our own black hardware. Uh-huh. Um but you know on the iPad I don't know that, that we have any uh, any video IO options as of yet. I have not been been briefed on them. So hopefully yeah. we'll get those okay. soon.
2: Yeah and, and the one the one thing I really hope to see in the future if you'd pass this on to a team, I'm not sure if you you know if they're working on this, is the the external monitor editing uh, scenario. I'd love to work on my iPad, then get to my desk, plug in my iPad to the big screen, and have yeah. uh, DaVinci Resolve kind of uh, scale up with a much bigger window sure. when I'm there. Uh, do you know any information about that, that situation? I really don't. And, you know, it's
1: it's really not in our nature to, to share those kinds of yeah. roadmaps. Right. notes in anyway, a way. but uh, but no, I'm not I'm not really privy to that. I I would imagine that there's there's many discussions in product management and development team right now about how to do just what you're describing because I I have a couple of you know 32 inch 4K screens that I would personally like to be able to attempt that with as well. Create kind of a a working dock, yeah, uh, if you will. Exactly. I, I had been doing that with my laptop anyway. Like my laptop goes to a dock. And then all my screens pop up and, yeah. and it connects, it connects to my hardware devices and everything. Cause I have a 4k ultra studio mini uh, 4k mm-hmm. mini, not mini, 4k mini, which is the full size, uh, 6g capable. It does, it does 12g, but it also does dual 6g. Um, it does not do quad 3g, but, yeah. uh, so I have that connected to, to a, um, the uh, precision color for yeah. my video output
2: directly yeah uh, yep very cool i was just uh, curious on that um and then adobe vision is um like as far as exporting your video as hey, hey. and any special any special notes as far as getting h d r as the exported video file like
1: exporting to h d r if you're if you use the output um format and you have picked the correct color management environment. So let's go to, um, the examples here. If I go to project settings and I go to color management and let me get out of that project because I'm in the wrong one. Let's go to this one. Yeah. The cloud works very nicely actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very, very, very happy with my cloud one. Okay. So when you switch from color manage, um, in the color management panel, you have the DaVinci YRGB. And DaVinci wire to be color managed as well as the two flavors of aces that are there the aces cc and um and cct now when you're in the in the color managed environment um you can either choose the automatic color management or you can uh-huh. choose a bespoke setting right where you decide all of those attributes you want to you want to be very specific about what your input format is. You want to be very specific about what the editing timeline format is. And you want to be very specific about what the output format is for your deliverable. So if you tick the box off that says automatic color management, then you can do all of those things. So you can simply choose your color processing mode and your output color space and even separate the the mm-hmm. space from from the gamma if you wanted. So you can have the gamma and the gamut, you know, separate, right? Yeah. Um, but in my in my estimation, most people are probably going to stick with the automatic color management, and then you have a very simple option. which choose SDR or HDR. Okay. And then your output space, you have, again, the same options, SDR uh-huh. or HDR, but there's five different flavors there. So if you were probably, in most cases, you'll be delivering to HDRPQ. If that means you deliver to a 600-nit or a 1,000-nit or both deliverables, yeah. then this would be your setup. You would go color-managed. Choose color processing mode HDR and choose HDR PQ. Then the little option underneath it tells it how many nits that is. It's just a metadata flag. Then you did say, um, you know, we're talking about the ability to do like Dolby Vision. Yeah. um, Yeah. So I have not upgraded mine yet. I'm still trying to get all of my codes from everyone so I can get my studio code on here uh, and enable the Dolby Vision. But what What that does is it opens the Dolby Vision tool set. Okay, and um, that provides you with level one analysis. So the Dolby Vision that's included with the with the Studio version of Resolve includes this level one analysis, which is essentially a static metadata, and it's the per clip analysis Mm -hmm. that you're going to be doing primarily. Yeah, that gives you the three different attributes. One would be the um, uh, the max. Uh, the max CLL, right? Mm-hmm. So the max content level, content light level. Yeah. The max frame average light level, and, um, and then the minimum, Okay. Right? So those three yeah. attributes are then written to the, the metadata in, in that format so that you can export, and a Dolby Vision device will recognize that you have a Dolby Vision, um, you know, metadata there, and it will understand how with your minimums and your maximum and your average how to draw in whatever device that you have because yeah. it's always device-dependent at the end of the process, right?
2: What screen right. am I looking at? So, Gotcha. And then one of the last questions here. Uh, Dolby Atmos is something I think it would just be... Sounds incredible, the <laughs> mastering audio in that way. The Mac version does this. Um, I would love to have AirPods Max or some kind of crazy speaker setup with the iPad. Uh I just want to... <laughs> mentioned that would be awesome if the developers could figure yeah, that okay. one out okay i will i'll definitely note that yeah because <laughs> because that does i mean i think the
1: octet itself offers the uh, spatial audio it does yeah got, for music say, AirPods, it, yeah right yeah. yeah
2: and there's no yeah. um yeah. there are currently no apps i've seen audio editor otherwise that let you yeah. i'd love to edit uh in, in dolby atmos uh you know in spatial audio just to play around with that sure. that seems fun
1: yeah yeah and it does sound like a lot of fun
2: yeah, and on the Mac, it uh, it does it through um, you're like rearranging different sound sources in, in kind of a graphical manner. Yeah, so when you're looking at the desktop
1: version, um, there's there's a couple of things, just like a 3D scope option, right? And you'll be able to pan around in in the 3D space. Um, and also in one of those views, the space scope view, essentially, when you've got objects that have been defined as objects, you'll now see the objects in that in that view kind of representing yeah. as they light up, you'll know, see them light up. So um and then of course that pairs nicely with the full fairlight hardware um you know for for moving moving yeah. painters and things like that and um and then automating the faders with um you know with the automation routines that are available in Fairlight. So
2: very cool. And then anything yeah. we covered a bunch. Anything that huh, <laughs> we didn't cover that you just want to touch on real quick. Well you know
1: let's see.
2: Um, we
1: did talk about the desktop version in the studio and the formats. And yep, yep. Let's see what else we have here. I no, don't, I don't know that we that that we have anything else to cover. But I mean, I I would just say I'm I'm really excited. You know, I'm excited to see where the team takes this product. Uh, it's it's always great um, as a representative of the of the software and of the hardware and of the company to be able to point to, you know, our multi-platform capability, right? We offer software available to several different workflows. We're not, we're not picking one over the other. Yeah. Uh, so pick the tool that you like best or that you need to use for, for whatever it is. I'm just really excited to see where we go with the iPad version, because like you said, there are so many other places that, you know, that we could entertain that, yeah. that there's probably an awful lot of people like you that would be excited about it.
2: Yeah, no, it's an exciting exciting moment to have this and then, app on iPad, and I was very excited when um, the M2 iPad Pro was revealed. It was like just a little tiny screenshot. It's like, oh, DaVinci Resolve's coming. It's like, oh, okay. I know, I
1: know. It's great to get that, you know, little uh, name drop directly from Apple about your yeah. software, too. So, yeah.
2: yeah. For someone brand new to DaVinci Resolve, where's the best place to go to watch tutorials and learn, you know, how to best use this app? I would say that's probably our website. Um, I mean, it's probably two places.
1: It's probably our website, but we've also been creating a YouTube repository with some of these video training, uh, you know, examples as well. Okay. But if you look at our website, there's a full DaVinci Resolve subsite. Uh, the navigation underneath the subsite includes a, um, an option for training, and when you click on the training button on the navigation, you'll find an entire page full of you know, training videos and even our official training book series, which is available freely uh-huh. downloadable. Like our like our software. You can just download the training book and, and learn it at your own pace. It even includes links to the media itself that's all, you know, proxy media, lightweight. So that you can work on the exact media and follow along exactly with the official training series. So there awesome. there probably and then the YouTube, you know, to to keep checking our, our YouTube pages we add. And, of course, you know, when you're on the YouTube, smash that back and subscribe button, right? Yes. That's how that's it works. It. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you have to say every time we see YouTube. Yes. Right? Like and subscribe.
2: Yep. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> I, I do really appreciate your time. I know we went uh, probably a little bit over what I expected, but thank you so much. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I know. It was my pleasure. and Thanks
1: for
0: having me. It's a great time. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Well, that's my discussion with Sean. My thanks to Sean for his time recording, and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. Learn more about DaVinci Resolve over at blackmagicdesign.com and download it today for free in the App Store to get started. You can support this podcast over patreon.com slash or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.